Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjo Gall. Hello, and uh, welcome to this segment on CIO Talk Network. To learn more about uh, this uh, segment, please visit www.ciotalknetwork.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter and look for this show as hashtag communication and hashtag conversations. Today's topic is how to be conversationally intelligent. And we have Judith Glazer, who is the author of Conversational Intelligence, how great leaders build trust and get extraordinary results. Hi, Judith. How are you? I'm great today. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be on your program. Thank you. And uh, so, so the reason we picked up this topic is because we speak about communication a whole lot in the business world, and we all are always preaching that the key to success for anyone as an individual, a leader, or a team, or an organization is communication. So all of that said... We should also look at what do we do when we are not in a formal setting, that is having a conversation at a water cooler or at a party or in any other setting where there are two people are having dialogue or there's a group having a dialogue. So so we wanted mm-hmm. to see if there is an approach to uh, uh, having conversations which would help build relationships, could allow people to move forward the agenda as a group, and overall have a win-win. So, so that's what we would like to see happen where, Judith, the first question I have for you is there is an assumption people make that almost everyone who we are going to have as an adult, whether in a personal or professional setting, understands and is fully aware of how to go about carrying an open and relevant conversation. Mm-hmm. Do you think this is a gross assumption and, and based on this assumption, we may be making mistakes and there are huge costs? And if at all, the costs are there, what are those costs? Yeah, so that's, um, we're going to unpack that uh, question because there's a lot of exciting things in what you're talking about. Um, and the fact is that we almost assume just because we've grown up speaking to each other from the time we're little that we figured out how to have conversations, that it's something that everybody does, that we can have relevant conversations, that we can be open with people, um, and that it's kind of, it's just the, it's the water we swim in. We all can do it. But what we're learning, which is absolutely fascinating, is that there's a lot going on behind the scenes when we're having conversations. A lot of it has to do with the neurochemistry of trust. In other words, how open we might feel with someone, how close we might feel with someone. And so it's not just conversations being about sharing information and getting to know each other, but it's from the very beginning, it's sizing up another person, trying to figure out how much you want to share with them, whether you can trust them, and all of that leads to the quality of the conversation. So it's not, again, just information. It's not something that everybody does. Um, I want to challenge people to think about conversations being a lot more than just the sharing of information with each other. There's a lot going on behind the scenes to build a relationship, as you were talking about, and to influence outcomes that people are having together. Relationship before task is really important. And that's not a lot of things that people have been thinking about when you normally think about conversations. So there is a connotation to conversation. And and when we say, okay, I'm going to go out to a friend and we'll just have a conversation over coffee. So we want to be Mm -hmm. relaxed. We want to actually chit chat and and discuss life and shoot the breeze. All of that Mm -hmm. said, 
do you think there is anything wrong with us being relaxed for a while and not be uptight or being processing what the next word that we're going to utter because we want to be ourselves. We want to be authentic at all times, if possible. Yep. So, so what I've been doing is studying how comfortable people are with each other, how, as you call, authentic they are with each other. Um, when do we do it? Can we do it at work, for example? Because you get you described a situation where we go to somebody's house and we have coffee with them and now we can let down our guard and talk about anything that's on our mind. In the world that, that I see moving forward where it's much more of a we-centric world, people are thinking a lot more about partnerships and how to work with people, I want that level of authentic, what you call authenticity, not just to live in the coffee shop or in somebody's home, but to be brought into companies where people can be open and honest with each other, not just about the small talk that we might do around coffee when we're with a friend, but open and transparent about what's going on at work in a way that shares their concerns, their challenges, their fears, because that's where human beings need help from each other. And we're, we've been taught often not to be, uh, be a peer or appear as weak, like we can't handle difficult situations. That's an old way of thinking. The new way of thinking is a lot about sharing what is on our mind, asking for help, partnering with people in order to create the best outcome possible. So being transparent is one of the first steps in building a relationship that's strong, whether you're at work or whether you're out, outside of work, in your friend's coffee house or in their kitchen. So I want to change the formula in people's minds about what good conversations really are and how to have them. No, not every time we would like to have an agenda when mm-hmm. we are having a conversation. We want to share, and that sharing mm-hmm. could mean what happened to my kid at school or what happened at work or what may be happening in politics or for mm-hmm. an upcoming election. So all of yeah. those things... Do, they, do we necessarily need to stress ourselves on whatever we talk at any given time? That, that's, that's what I'm trying to get to. Uh-huh. And tell me, tell me what, what, what causes stress. What, what, what would connect with stress in a conversation like what you were talking about? When somebody has to think an extra, uh, think extra hard, or perhaps they have to be extra cautious if this other person is going to feel uh, differently about their relationship, or or that person may get offended. So when you are in company of people who you want to be, you you have been comfortable with, and you you know you can be authentic with, and suddenly mm-hmm. you have to carry that additional level of filter. Then, then, then ta- that takes the relaxation away. You are alert. When you're alert, then you're not relaxed. Yep, yep. So are you saying, is there a way that we can create environments where people can, can be authentic and share things that are important without feeling like they have to be stressed or fearful about it, about who's going to share something that's important and private to them? How do we remove some of that stress and at the same time be able to be present and authentic with people? Is that, is that formula possible at work? It sounds like when we, when we are outside of work, we can do it with friends because we trust them. We have a sense of their um, reliability. They're not going to harm us. At work, where you have people that are vying for uh, jobs, for roles, and things like that, we may not have that same sense of um, safety. And I think you're raising the question of, can we bring that amazing level of open and honest relationships at work can we bring it to work? 
or is it only something that sits outside of work where we have a friendship and we can trust somebody? That question is something that I struggle with every day. It challenges me to think differently, and it's something that I talk to all the executives that I work with about, which is how to create an environment of safety where people can show up authentic and trusting and build trust at work, even in the face of some of the difficult challenges that we face and the competitions that we face at work. When we talk about this term conversationally intelligence or conversational intelligence, and even in Mm -hmm. a work setting, would you say is it different from the communication skills, the formal communication skills or leadership communication skills that the Mm -hmm. leaders have been attempting to acquire or the organization is helping groom them in that area? Mm -hmm. So in what ways might conversational intelligence be um, equivalent to or also be appropriate for uh, leaders and helping develop leaders. Uh, what, what we try to do in conversational intelligence is redefine conversations as um, having three levels and also having a different um, power to, especially when you think about conversational intelligence versus just conversations. It's how to interact with people in ways that build strong relationship, help people connect, help people navigate with each other at work in more effective ways and help people grow and transform not only themselves, but the teams that they're with. So a lot of conversational intelligence separate from um, good leadership skills is really understanding not only the power of conversations to bring people to a higher level of intelligence and innovation and um, ability to translate the world um, with their people, um, it's, it is leadership skills, but it's leadership skills focusing specifically on the power of conversations to bring people together to a higher level, to bring out the best in every employee, to set a stage where people, when they interact, are absolutely multiplying their capacity together um, and co-creating versus just being in an I-centric place. So great leaders help people move from I to we. Conversational intelligence is a platform that helps people move from I to we and provides uh, conversational roadmaps, uh, conversational rituals, and conversational essentials that leaders can do every day that actually do make a difference in developing the talent in their organization, as well as developing their leadership. So in order for us, someone to be conversationally intelligent, would you see just plain training, uh, mm-hmm. acquiring a habit, or acquiring a skill is good enough, or do you think it has... Uh, it is far more effective or far more, uh, you, you embrace it better when you change your mindset. Because, of course, it's, it's all, it's just, so when you're having conversation, if you're mm-hmm. super alert and you're always thinking about if it should, will it hurt or not, someone or not, then you are not, you, you, you're really not having a conversation or you're really not connecting with them. You're just communicating. And yes. if you have a changed your mindset, then somebody is uh-huh. not, then, then perhaps that would, it, and this is just my personal view, I would, I would feel a person has a better chance to transform themselves if the change is made in the mindset versus in the behavior, if you will. Well, let me, let me take it a step further. We have something that sits between um, what you're talking about. It's something a little bit different. Um, we've, we've just identified some essentials, conversational essentials that does impact a person's mindset when they think about it, but it's beyond mindset. It's mindset, it's behavior, and it's application. Um, we have a couple of what we call essentials, like listening to connect. 
So very often we find that as we're sitting with people, you even described it so well. You said, you know, you're sitting there thinking, what's the other person thinking and is it going to work out? So in your mind, you have ideas about what this conversation might be about or how that person might react to you, but you're doing it in a judgmental way. In other words, you're judging the person or worried about potentially what might be said or what might be thought. So we've come up with an essential called listening to connect, which helps people shift their mindset from listening to judge others to actually staying in as neutral a space as you can so that you can actually hear what a person is saying, not judge what they're saying. Because as you're judging, you're reinterpreting what a person is saying. Yet when you listen to connect, you're actually stepping into their world, trying to understand the words that they're using and how they're using it. When we've taught this to leaders, they have learned and told and reported back case study after case study of amazing stories about how just listening to connect lowers the anxiety, and you talked about anxiety, lowers the anxiety that someone might have with another person. And by lowering the anxiety, they raise the ability for two people to connect. And when they connect in healthy ways, they produce what's called oxytocin, which is a neurotransmitter that actually fosters your ability to interact with someone in a healthy and easy way. So lowering the stress and raising this ability to connect with people by listening to connect changes the the chemistry in our brains and in our bodies to enable us to connect in a healthier way and to build trust in a healthier way. Does that make sense? It definitely does. And and may I say here that uh, if we are focusing on being interested versus being Mm -hmm. interesting, would mm-hmm. you think that would further enhance the ability for us to really connect with the individual? Um, what, you're, what, what I'm hearing you say is that being interested, meaning focusing on the other person, not necessarily focusing on being, being someone who is um, performing or trying to look good. In other words, in moving from self to other is one of the steps in enabling higher levels of connectivity with people and higher levels of conversational intelligence. If that's the connection is focusing on another person, that's a piece of it. What is in addition to that, it's not just focusing on the person, but it's how and how you listen to them because human beings actually feel whether we're being judged or whether we're being listened to, and that is a differentiator in people that are being showing success with conversational intelligence. Is there a body language component to it? Oh, the, the, the wonderful story about words are only about 7% of what we're trying to say, and then the rest is, is in our body language. So much is picked up. In, we now know that in 0.07 seconds, which is very, very, very fast, uh, two people can feel each other's energy. Um, they can feel whether they're being considered a f- friend or a foe. And that can totally, again, change the, the chemical interactions behind the conversation that you're having with someone. So, yes, sensitivities, like what you're talking about, body language. If I see a person's eyes look down, if they turn away, if, uh, um, if I reach out towards someone, it communicates a different message, and my chemistry will change as a result of it. So body language definitely has not only an impact, but it's often faster than anything that we could do with words alone. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back, and let's discuss about the factors that may undermine the conversational intelligence among working adults and how much of it is actually nature versus nurture. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, 
IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog All at CIOTalkNetwork.com. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog All. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Judith, what what do you think are the top factors which undermine conversational intelligence among uh, the working adults? The reason I use working adults is because that's the place where we are trying to help them shape their communication and conversational skills. And what? how much of that do you think? I've seen some people naturally be good in the way they carry conversations. Some others are not. And whether or not people have had training. So, I, you asked what, what, what might undermine it. There are people who think that um, being a great orator is, is being a good conversationally intelligent person or being able to um, persuade people because there's so many programs um, out there for persuasion. And so people think if you persuade well, you're a good conversational person, you're conversationally intelligent. So what undermines um, the ability to be conversationally intelligent is the blind spots that we have where we think that um, speaking well, having a strong point of view, it's kind of the old platform skills that we taught leaders to have, that those are conversationally intelligent skills, and they're not. That's still about eccentric and being a well-performing eccentric leader. So it's the blind spots and the thinking that uh, speaking well in front of people, having a strong point of view, um, having people love what you're saying, you could see them shaking their heads and that makes you feel good. So you have a lot of dopamine in your body and it makes you feel strong and you want to talk more. That's what undermines conversational intelligence. And some people start out thinking that the old view of being a good speaker is the same thing as conversational intelligence. And they are absolutely not. They're opposites of each other. When we are looking at uh, the people's uh, state of mind, so which is suppose we are feeling... Uh, conversations, uh, some conversations when we have, we feel happy or energized or motivated Mm -hmm. by the way the the conversation went and we come back and say, we'll conquer the world. Others, we somehow feel that, you know, we are good for nothing or somewhere in between. So Mm -hmm. as, as we are trying to do all of this, is it us trying to interpret what happened there or was it an experience which is a combination of what we said, what the other person said and how we interpreted? Okay, so part of what conversational intelligence as a science and as an art um, has discovered is that there are three levels of conversation and one of them is called transactional, which is asking and telling each other things, confirming what we know. That's the basic level of when people first meet each other, they talk and they small talk and they get to know each other and they share information in business and sharing information about projects. It's low-level low conversations. Um, the next one is positional, where we have a point of view and we want to influence others in our point of view. So we have a position. And by the way, all of these levels are good levels. We have to learn how to do all of them to be really well Um, versed in conversational intelligence. So the second one is having a position. And when it's healthy, you have a position, I have a position, we talk about it, and we figure out what we're going to do. When it's not healthy, I am addicted to being right, 
and I'm going to make myself right, and I'm going to make you wrong because I have to be right, and it makes me feel good. That's the bad side of it. And the last one is called transformational level three, and that's where people can interact with each other, share and discover, expand the possibilities of their conversation. Um, this leads to greater transparency, greater trust. There's a lot of things in, in level three that don't exist in the other two levels. And what is most important to your question is that I am influencing you and you are influencing me when we're in level three. And I might support, be able to support you and help you even think about an idea in a new way without judgment because I'm living in these wonderful level three mindsets, which is listen to connect, ask questions for which I don't have answers. And so we've discovered that two people can influence each other's thinking. They can influence each other's behavior in level three in a bigger way because we are open for the trusting relationship. We believe this person is not going to hurt us. So we open up our mind and heart. The prefrontal cortex is very sensitive. It's the, right behind the forehead. And this has amazing capacities to have empathy, foresight, insight, wisdom, lots of things that make us um, high-level executives, high-level human beings. We only get there when we trust the other person. And when we do, we actually co-regulate each other's chemistry. And that's what I wanted to point out about this particular level three. I'm going to be able to influence you and you will be able to influence me. We're able to write on each other's brains, as they say, the energy of our thoughts start to combine and we create a bigger sense of what's possible in the world. Level three is underplayed in companies. Most companies fall in level two and level one, but they, they wonder why they can't get as much result as they'd like. So part of what I do when I go into companies, and I have some amazing case studies about this, is helping leaders understand what level three is so that they can start creating this uh, co-regulation or influence that actually expands people's ability to be productive and effective and amazing human beings, sensitive to each other as well. Now, so. when we evaluate our own performance or our ability to communicate or are having such conversations, there have been instances mm -hmm. where Otherwise, there has been a great chemistry between the two people. Suppose I went and spoke to a friend and mm -hmm. the other day I go and talk to the person. I'm being myself and doing whatever the right for the relationship and having a good conversation from my side. But somehow I feel that person is either not is kind of detached or sometimes offended or there's some other uh, the no, not the regular pattern I see in the relationship. So I could go ahead yeah. and kick myself to say I did not perform well as a conversational artist or or someone who mm -hmm. has lost his conversational intelligence, but it could very well be that the other person had a bad day. Right. And that's why the exactly. person was detached. So, so that how much should we self uh, be hypercritical if we don't see the results of our, our ability to have a good conversation? You, you just described a, an amazing moment in the life of a human being, which is where we may have a good relationship with someone, and all of a sudden, this particular day, you're interacting with that person, and it doesn't feel right. Your, your body gets it. Your gut gets it. You know something wrong. And so the question is, do you go back on yourself and say, what did I do, and make me the problem? Do you go into the person and think, hmm, what did they do, and make them the problem? Or do you go into a conversation with this person in a neutralized way and not making it my problem or his problem, but just checking in with my friend who is somebody that I've had good relationships with and just say, hey, something's going on. I see you look different today or you look like you're worried about something or you go in with just a what I call 
a question with caring and candor. Candor and caring, but but putting caring first, it suggests that you're saying to this person, hey, you're a friend of mine and I care about you. What's going on? You know, is there anything I can do to help? Which, which makes it not about blame, not about you or not about me, but about how I care about our relationship and I want to check in and see how you're doing. So conversational intelligence gives us new ways of thinking about um, discovering what's happening rather than what I call going up the ladder of conclusions, making it up, saying it's me, saying it's you. It's that blame part that human beings feel that weakens. And you asked before, what can undermine conversational intelligence? It's this type of thing where we go up the ladder of conclusions, we start to think it's a, a, something happened, then we make up a story, and then something's happened. We've made a story now. Now we believe our story. So it's keeping people down to the level of just checking in and really caring about each other. And I know that, you, that that's important to what you think as well. You know, we can do this every day, and it keeps people in a state of connectivity rather than in judgment. Now, what you what you explained was very beautifully said in terms of the way we can come to a common ground. And instead of walking away with a judgment, you can discuss it out. Now, all of that is very possible when I'm talking to my friend. But mm-hmm. when sometimes we are in a formal situation, it could be even peers who otherwise were having a great conversation otherwise, and that was a bad day. And yes, the ideal would be that we could really bring the subject up. So is there anything wrong? But it's not always possible or most organizations, or not most organizations, most people Mm -hmm. do not take the initiative to go ahead and actually bring that subject up because it might even look impolite to Mm -hmm. to many to be able to say, okay, is everything okay at home because of which you're looking detached? Yeah, yeah. So, so how do we how do we how do we handle that part? Because not every time in a formal situation you can go ahead and pry into somebody else's personal life that he was, you know, he had a fight at home or, or some other issues. Right. Absolutely. I'm not suggesting that people either air dirty laundry, open up personal things, especially in a business meeting or in a business context. Those are, are there's an appropriateness for each of those things. Certainly, if I was in a meeting with some colleagues, and I picked up that my, one of my colleagues was having trouble. I could see it in their face. I would gladly, after the meeting, you know, go in and check on that person to see what's going on. So there are other options that, that you can have. I'm not suggesting to anybody listening today that you take the moment in that very important business meeting to check out somebody's um, you know, personal issues. That, that, that's not appropriate, but it is appropriate to go in and check after um, to find out what's going on, especially if it's somebody that you care a lot about. So I guess there are rules of the road. There's a protocol that we all still have to honor inside of conversational intelligence as well as any type of conversations that, that make sense. Now, we talk to our boss, to our peer, to our subordinate, to our family, our kids, wife, parent, and at, at all different times, we are having conversations and we want to make sure that we have the best outcome of that conversation that we motivate someone and also feel good about what happened with Uh each of those areas would you say that there is a a a common denominator or core set of principles that we have to drive ourselves by and then there is a custom layer or which is situation specific or a role specific so if you are talking as a father or as a parent or as a as a boss or whatever there, is there a core layer and a custom layer for us to be conversationally intelligent in all those situations separately? Um, what a wonderful question. <laughs> it's actually a, 
a really good question, and um, I, I could answer it in a lot of different ways. But first, let me say that, that we believe that there are conversational essentials. Those are things that, that I would like every, whether it's, you're a parent, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a spouse, whether you're a friend, whether you're on a team, their conversational essentials are ways of interacting with people that bring out the best in, in conversations, and in, they enable you to create the best conversations with other people. Um, a couple of those are, I mentioned, listen to connect is one. Another one is asking questions for which you don't have answers, and that's another one. And what that means is that very often we ask leading questions, we ask yes and no questions, we ask questions that don't really go deeper into a situation, an interpretation, a relationship. It's, it's, it's more about, again, what I know questions and what I can tell you questions as opposed to the curiosity discovery questions. So whether you're a teacher, whether you're a student, that the idea of listen to connect, ask questions for which you don't have answers are skills that we want people to practice to use from the very beginning um, of their education because it does make a difference in the quality of the conversations that evolve. And most importantly, the questions that you've been focusing on is the results that people get. You do change things when you ask these kinds of questions. Um, I can, I, if you'd like me to give you a case study or a story, I could actually give one. It might help support what we're talking about. Sure. Okay. Um, this is a very personal use of conversational intelligence. Um, I got a call from someone who listened to me on the radio, and she said, I'm calling you because something is going on with my daughter, and I, we can't figure it out. Um, she hasn't been diagnosed as ADD or autistic, but there's something about how she's interacting with people that the doctors cannot figure out. And I think what I heard you talk about conversational intelligence, I think you might be able to help me. And so I stayed on the phone with this woman for four minutes and listened and listened to how she described what was going on with her daughter. Um, and then I said, do you mind if I give you some feedback? I'm learning a lot about you and this might help with your daughter. And what I heard was that she was a very, she was a Harvard graduate, hard driving woman, a lot of push energy. So when I talk about interactions, interaction dynamics, which is part of the, um, the ask and tell, it's how we interact with people in all conversations. There's a little push, there's a pull. That's common to every conversation. She was in push, very big push energy. Didn't give her daughter space, which is what I learned, to think with her and to be present with her. So I gave her the two skills, listen to connect and ask questions for which you don't have answers. I said, talk with your daughter using these two skills, nothing else. Let this drive your conversation. And then call me and let me know what happens. And she called me the next day and she said, this is the best conversation that I've ever had with my daughter. Um, I'm, she came out. It's as though a part of her showed that didn't show before. So there's something about, again, asking questions for which you don't have answers. So it's the curiosity about another person and about what they're thinking. It's about connecting without judgment. The end of the story is she came to New York to visit with me and her husband and her daughter. I gave more feedback in a session for them to all see how to do this. Um, six months later, her daughter, they moved from a farm to an actual house in a city. Her daughter is now being able to stand up in front of adults and tell stories and be funny. She goes to the UN with kids now. I mean, everything in her life has changed. She's not on a farm. She's now living in a city. So something as simple as changing two little things changes the energy patterns between people, which activates and opens up inside of someone a capacity that they may not have even known that they had, but enables them to ex be experienced as more conversationally intelligent, more healthy, and more ability to thrive in the world. 
Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's look at the way the world is changing, the way we used to have conversations in the past uh, at a workplace is also changing because we may have multiple generations. We may have most people either in an outsourced capacity who we are working with or they are geographically distributed uh, workforce. And in all of those cases, we are essentially talking to people who have nothing else to connect with us on besides when they need something or there is an obligation because there is a meeting set up. So when we are just communicating for official purposes, but we still are supposed to be a team, how do we develop conversational intelligence in all parties involved in order for them to have the real conversations which will bring the team together? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoe Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, listeners. So the question for us, Judith, here, or in fact, it's more of a challenge because communication earlier was when we are at a water cooler or we were Mm -hmm. hanging out at the cafeteria or even at at office parties where we were physically present. So the conversations had a uh, were extending beyond the spoken words. The conversation was happening with our eyes. The conversation was happening with our body. As as you also mentioned, there's an importance. Now Mm -hmm. the organizations have actually started cutting out of their offices, going completely virtual, going completely geographically distributed with people who may not even be part of the organization, but they are attached because of an outsourced relationship. So those people are essentially an either an employee number or a contractor who you're supposed to work with, get the most out of. But frankly, it is it is not as easy anymore. So can you realistically foster the level of conversational intelligence that you're claiming will actually help them improve, come together as a team? Yep. So um, knowing that the world is becoming a completely different world and many of the relationships we have are with people we don't even see face-to-face, don't even know what they look like, um, but yet we still have to do business, we still have to be effective, we still have to get good results. In fact, there's more pressure on us to do it now. So part of what we've done in conversational intelligence is we've created what we call conversational rituals. So a ritual is something that people that are working together can do to help them create the right environment, a better environment for people to be effective when they're having conversations with each other. So um, we've done this when people are face-to-face, and we've done it when people are actually on the, the phone, which is very common for doing business today where we actually never see the person. So a conversational ritual is a way to set up what we call rules of engagement, where people can know that they are in a challenging situation, we're on the phone and we really can't see each other, but we want to have a good, effective hour conversation with each other. Um, conversational rituals will be 
what is the environment that we want to create in order to make this a great conversation for all of us? So that's a uh, rule of engagement. It's a ritual that we do. It's easier to visualize it when people are in the same room and there's a flip chart and the facilitator, the person who's running the meeting, asks people questions, you know, what, how would you like this conversation to go? What would be important? So somebody would say, um, I want everybody to really listen to each other because we're on the phone and we really need to hear each other, you know, and listen carefully. So, so if you had a flip chart, you'd put uh, up the words, listen carefully. When I do these types of rules of engagement, I might collect individual words like that or two words. Um, I, somebody might say, we need to respect each other's time. We need to um, um, make sure that we ask good questions. Whenever I hear these individual words, I always do something, and this is another tip. It's another essential. It's called double-clicking, where I say, well, what does it really mean to listen? Or what does it really mean to respect somebody else's point of view? And so when we create rules of engagement, we don't just do the surface rule of engagement. We go a little bit deeper to find out how something really looks and feels when it's at its best. And so those rules of engagement then structure the conversations that you're going to have, whether, again, it's in person, whether it's a combination. It gives people a clue about how to interact with each other. That in and of itself, if people do follow the rules, and I, I have seen almost 100% of the time people wanting to do it because we all want to have good conversations, then, then what people talk about, they do it in a different way. So this is called priming the space. These are other words that are part of our conversational intelligent world. And we want to prime the space to make it comfortable for everybody so the best conversations take place. And that is like a golden rule that I'm sharing with everybody so that people can, whether you're in a business together and you're not at different places in the world, but you see each other every day, checking in with each other, setting up these rules, even asking for trust to be present, and then saying, what does trust really mean to us? That level of depth is really powerful and shifts the conversations that happen with the teams, regardless of where they live in the world. Does that make sense? It does. The The caveat I have, or rather a wrench in the system, is the way we are shifting the makeup of our workforce. So mm-hmm. if there was some some longevity to the time that these individuals spend together, before you know, before you say, okay, let's talk about the deeper trust and why should we have trust, etc., mm-hmm. it, it takes time to develop. And then right now, if you notice... Or, or I'm, 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 I'm sharing with you what at least happens in the technology world. There is something called agile uh, process, which yep. means that you want to do projects literally in matter of weeks versus months. So projects mm-hmm. happen when people come together to do something, get the job done, and then dismantle and get on to something else. When you mm-hmm. are in that, uh, you know, super. Uh, 100 miles an hour speed, number one, you've got way too much happening on the deadline level to meet your own respective responsibilities, that conversations take a backseat, or even if they start happening, by the time you are getting to a level where you can talk about this trust and other things that you mentioned, it is time for them to part ways. And yes, if they want to be in touch and talk on Skype or phone later, that's up to them, but that's not really helping the organization. Mm-hmm. What do you do then? Well, you're talking about agile teams, for example, that come together and do projects, um, and they happen everywhere. I, I think it, that there are people that are trained in agile technology. They're trained in how to run a meeting. They're trained in how to be together. They're trained in how to get results quickly. So in a sense, they have their own conversational ritual that isn't necessarily fostering relationship building or major trust building, but 
in an agile project, you better get results. In other words, kind of getting to trust and getting to results is baked into the kind of rules that drive an agile project. So I think that there are just to be, in my world, it's another version of a conversational ritual that helps people get done what they're intending to get done. If they said the purpose of this, this agile team is for us to become friends and partners and invent new projects together, that's another set of rules. But as long as we have these rules of engagement and we understand you can have your great conversations outside of that where you go into transparency and you talk about what's on your mind. That doesn't mean, Agile doesn't mean you can't have other conversations at different times that meet that need for deep connection. It's just another version. As I watch it, as a scientist that watching this, I see it as another ritual. So, so the whole idea or the, the basis of you introducing conversational intelligence as a concept and, and sharing that across the world, I'm sure, is because mm-hmm. you want them to become incrementally better or disruptively better. So mm-hmm. without conversational intelligence or this concept as an agile, as you mentioned, people may mm-hmm. still get some results. But if conversational intelligence was, what was the intention behind this? What do you think is the intention or should the intention be? Is it to mm-hmm. build relationship to maximize or their potential or just to do use it as an aid wherever it's possible to incorporate it? And um, you're asking me what I whether I think it's something that should be part of everyday life in every way or just something that we put into place like an agile project is that, are you asking my sense of how big and important conversational intelligence is to the world? Yes. And and the reason I ask is because you are saying it's almost not, it's not optional as you, the way you described it, but the very reason why somebody would spend the time to understand it and try to adopt it is because they want some long-term benefits as well versus looking at what gets done in a short term and get the results. Because then if we have that mindset, then we will never take the time to groom ourselves and others. Right, exactly. And so I believe that we should start with kids in school from the time they first start communicating with each other and teaching them different types of conversational uh, skills to make them from the very beginning astutely aware that there are different types of conversations there's a different sense of quality of a conversation depending on whether somebody's conversationally intelligent or not. And I would love to have this part of everyday life from the time you start school. There is a school called Expeditionary Learning. They actually have 160 um, schools around the United States. Um, They use conversational intelligence practices. I'm on the board, so I go into the schools to see them. And they have an incredible ability, these children, to be healthier of mind and spirit, to be incredibly more articulate in how they present things, to be less um, upset and stressed by people being competitive. It doesn't read competitive to them anymore. It reads learning from each other. So there's a whole new language and a whole new set of skills that if we start young, kids become healthier of mind and spirit. Um, They're able to engage at a higher level. They get stronger results than others. Um, They jump jump levels, get into college faster. I mean, there's so many things that I see that make conversational intelligence, it should be a platform for how kids learn how to communicate with each other. Um, The results are amazing, and uh, I don't see it as just a piece of project. I see it as something that becomes part of everyday life. 
when we look at uh, this whole uh, paradigm shift that you're hoping that is brought about by mm-hmm. thinking about conversational intelligence, there has to mm-hmm. be some sort of a benchmark that someone should be pursuing to say, okay, we invested. This is like, I know it is continuous improvement related. However, mm-hmm. if somebody is reached at a certain level, then you know your efforts or anyone who's investing in it, their efforts have, bear- have been bearing fruits. What mm-hmm. is it? What's that holy grail? Or are there set of milestones that we should, or there, there are some checks and balances to make sure that if we are investing our time and energy in it, these are the milestones we should have been seen as achieved and or this is the holy grail. Once we reach there, we say, okay, we reach there. No, um, when, I, when I bring conversational intelligence into a company, whether I bring it into um, an individual or a team, I look at results. So there's a reason why you need conversational intelligence. There's something that your company is going to gain as a result of it. So if it's, there are companies that I've worked with, uh, one being a pharmaceutical company, Beringer Engelheim, um, years in, in fact, 27 years ago that I first introduced them to, um, conversational intelligence by looking at the, the quality of the conversations that the pharmaceutical reps had with their, the physicians and seeing that the outcome of those conversations was not more sales. So they were rated very low as the, like number 39 out of 40 as a company in terms of the eyes of the physician. I deconstructed the conversations with them to figure out what they were doing that was causing the doctors not to want to invite them in to talk and, and redesign with them a conversationally intelligent way of interacting with people using the skills like listen to connect, asking questions for which there are no answers, learning how to bond with the doctors and build relationship. Um, this company after eight months of using these skills, went from number 39 to one, two, or three in the eyes of a doctor. Eight months is not a long time for a change like this to take place. What it demonstrated is that it made a huge difference. But we tracked this because this particular company, Beringer, has been using this work for 27 years, meaning they were realizing it's not something that you just do like one agile project, but you bring it into the heart and soul and the, the skin of a company and, and what makes a company so it's, it's my belief. Again, you ask, what's the outcome? What's the great thing that can happen? A company can begin to transform itself. Uh, I did this with Clairol. Clairol went from a $250 million company to a $4.5 billion company in, in less than a decade. So there are stories about real companies believing in this enough to bring it in and make it part of how the company operates. It's, it's protocol. It's rituals. And when you see that, and see the impact economically as well as to the culture. It, this, this is more than a project. This is a way of being. Now, there is one, Judith, and there is a book that you've written, and then I'm sure there is an organization and consulting, but there is a whole world who could benefit from it. So mm-hmm. what type of an approach that an organization can take so that they at least first make sure they are ready to embrace it? And secondly, what type of external help they could seek for mm-hmm. them to be able to uh, incorporate and get a culture uh, fostered within the organization, which is thriving and it is sustained across, like not not one person coming and uh, championing it. It 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 stays. It is sustained culture mm-hmm. based on uh, conversational intelligence. How do, how does an organization go about doing it? Um, what companies have done with us is they've contacted us. Um, they've asked us to come in and, and do a deconstruction, meaning take a look at different ways that people are interacting in the, in the organization and having conversations and give them a picture like a snapshot 
of what are the interaction dynamics, what, what will they lead to, what could they be doing, um, so we can do what, what is, and I'm using this word uh, because it's so descriptive, doing a makeover, a conversational makeover. Um, companies have asked to come in and just try it with the team. They've asked us to come in and try it um, with just individuals for coaching purposes. And so if somebody wants to start and test it out, there are ways to um, try an example with an existing team or, or, again, people in the company to see what major results it has. Very often, companies then will say, can you come in and take a look at our whole organization and help us understand how do we integrate conversational intelligence into the life of a leader? How do we integrate it into the life of others who are in the learning world? And so we have one company, for example, now that has moved this work into the world of HR, human resources, um, learning and development, um, new programs that come into the company. This is considered some of the the, uh, principles that they learn. And so it's it's becoming part of the DNA. That's I even talk about it. I haven't my my major book is conversational intelligence. This is the one that's going around the world and and it's in its fourth printing and uh, and this is what I've been doing a lot of talking about. Um, there are other books as well, but th- this is the one that makes the difference. And companies are saying, come in and assess us, and then help us change the culture by changing the conversations, whether they're rituals or whether they are are essentials. Um, I have one. CEO who just loves level three and he'll go into a meeting and he'll say, let's do a level three conversation um, or let's co-create. So some of the language of conversational intelligence itself has the ability to transform a culture just by using the words and then living in those words. It makes a difference for an organization. On behalf of our show and the listeners, I'd really like to thank you, Judith, for sharing your thoughts on how an organization can embrace this conversational intelligence formula and uh, develop the people so that they maximize their potential. Thank you so much. Mm. You're welcome. Thank you. It's been wonderful being on your show. Thank you again. And listeners, please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and be sure to follow us on Twitter as well as join our LinkedIn group. Thank you again for listening to the segment on CIO Talk Network. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.